0: The idea behind that sort of ease of just one tin and less chopping is specifically because I cook for a living, so um, when I come home I want something nice and fresh and interesting to eat but I just don't want to be in the kitchen for any longer than I have to be because I've spent all day on my feet in the kitchen. What is going to enable that? Well, that's the oven and Mm. chop things for five minutes, stick them in a tin, leave the kitchen, go and sit down with a glass of wine, watch half an hour of something on Netflix, and then dinner's done. Usually, you, you wouldn't expect the author to, to, of a cookbook to cook and style the dishes on a photo shoot, necessarily. It depends on the budget, and sometimes publishers can be a bit naughty and just say, well, you wrote the recipe, so you can style them for the book. But if you've got a bit of foresight, you will hire a food stylist. start with actually. but what if what if no one buys mine because someone's brought out a new one and then having publishing funds you're like oh, that's not how it works any like the first one usually does the best so you're doing fine we've got four of them you're doing fine okay.
1: <laughs> welcome to bestsellers i'm natalie jameson
2: and i'm phil williams and we have a first on bestsellers today because today's episode is a unique cookbook episode we said we were going to do one it's taken some time but natalie has finally managed to unearth one of her <laughs> favorite cookbook writers of all time so much so that you'll be amazed when you hear this just how many of the dishes natalie's actually tried out at one point i thought you were part of the marketing team for the book
1: <laughs> ah did you really <laughs> yeah but you say that like it's unusual, but i think that's a thing i think a lot of people buy cookbooks and don't then actually cook from them but it's kind of like any other book so when i'm interested in a cookbook i'll flick through it and if there's not already a handful of things i want to try then why would i buy it
2: wow good good point can i ask you this because this Mm. has happened to me right have you ever bought a cookbook because you like the concept of it right and then when you flick through it you think no can't be asked no i'm not doing that no that's too long i've got to sit over that for an hour and a half not doing that one Uh, have you ever had that so in the end so though you think you're gonna like it in the end there's nothing you've done
1: There are some that I have used a lot more than others, but I think there's always something. There's always got to be something that's kind of hooked me into the book, Um, and whether it's kind of an interesting uh, recipe title that I want to try. There's, there'll always be that one thing that I will experiment with first.
2: Well, we'll tell you who um, who it is in the moment. Although, uh, again. You've seen it already on the episode <laughs> description, so I don't know why I'm trying to preserve any kind of mystique. That it's it's like exist. Your, your
1: radio training from decades is like, I must not say who the guest is. And like, you know that it's mini <laughs> T- Aya already.
2: Yeah, yeah. Tease ahead, tease ahead, tease ahead. Uh, so our um, listeners where we weren't expecting listeners. I don't know if we're benefiting now from this extended go global lockdown, but we now have four listeners in Luxembourg.
1: Mm, nice. Yeah.
2: Hello Although Luxembourg. again, I
1: feel bad because I don't really know that much about Luxembourg.
2: See, all I know about Luxembourg is, going back to radio, is Radio Luxembourg, yeah. really the original kind of... <laughs> the, the pre-Radio One shout-outs. That was it, really? Yeah, I mean, I've not I've not been.
1: No, you me been? neither. Uh, no.
2: no. The bit is, bit is meant to be very good.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: Terrible, isn't it? That's quite culturally ignorant of us, isn't it? I mean, we yeah. can't put it right now, because you can't go anywhere, but... No. Do you know, what we, you know what we should do?
1: Yeah.
2: I don't think it'll be season two, but season three. Right. We should do... <laughs> bestsellers on tour
1: Mm -hmm. each episode
2: from a different country
1: a different wow i thought you could just go like city like start start (laughs) school no No, different country
2: yeah all the ones we've mentioned so far
1: right okay you've
2: learned you you were learning to say hello in all these but obviously luxembourg is french isn't it so it's easy
1: uh bonjour
2: yeah that's it so hello to you in luxembourg thank you if you're one of the four people who listen to us in luxembourg can you each tell four friends and let's see if we can quadruple our numbers
1: While you are chatting there, I was trying to think if there was some clever way to say, and of course, Rukmini Aya's book is called The Roasting Tin Around the World, but there isn't, it's just, that's what it is. (laughs) In terms of, as links go, that's it.
2: (laughs) Now, the clever thing would be if you can persuade her to sponsor us to do our show around the world.
1: (laughs) Because someone's got to pay for it. (laughs) What's the incentive there? (laughs) What, for her? Yeah.
2: That we bring a recipe of hers to life in a different part of the world as well as speak to other authors in that part of the world.
1: Yeah, I would say if anyone's going to do that, it'll probably be her (laughs) with her own recipes in those countries.
2: Maybe she hasn't got as much time on her hands. Maybe she can't travel. Maybe,
1: maybe. We'll we'll come along for the ride, uh, whatever. But yeah, um, yeah, I'm very excited about this episode, obviously, because I may have talked about cooking and cookbooks once or twice up to this point. So now I get to fully indulge. But trust me, it'll be fascinating.
2: Here's my colleague, Natalie Jamieson, to introduce Rukmini Aya.
1: Rukmini Ayers, The Roasting Tin Around the World is her fourth cookbook released in May 2020 and already her roasting tin series of books have sold more than half a million copies. Her green roasting tin, I was just saying, has happily been used a lot in my kitchen already and there are two more cookbooks on the way in 2021. Um, Hi Rukmini, first of all I wanted to ask what it was like to release your new book in the height of lockdown.
0: Hi, Natalie. Well, it was an interesting time for a book launch on the basis that everyone had more important things to do than think about a cookbook. Uh, So I was (laughs) like, well, it's okay. Maybe if it totally tanks, no one will notice because they're all at home anyway. (laughs) But actually it was weird. I, I suppose because of it being lockdown, everyone's cooking so much more. No one, I mean, at the moment now people are sort of, you know, nipping off to France or they were nipping off to France and back. But back then, the idea of foreign travel was just suddenly as dead as if we'd been back in the 1920s. And to release a round-the-world cookbook, I couldn't work out if that was a good thing or a bad. But then readers just really enjoyed the idea that you can travel the world from the comfort of your kitchen, since that's where we're all spending a lot of time at the moment.
2: See, can I put the contrary view? I thought it was a genius idea. Oh, because actually, the minute Well, the minute we're locked down, we've got no choice but to cook. <laughs> mm. You mean, I mean, honestly, I'm being serious now. At the very start of lockdown, you couldn't even get a, a takeaway delivered to your house. I think no, you know, that's no kind really of kicked right. off now. And yeah. so providing you can get the ingredients in the supermarket, and it strikes me from the book that we've, we've had downstairs that we're very excited about in this house, by the way, of yours, that one of your selling points is you want to make it easy for us. So it's kind of go to the supermarket, get a bag full, come back, one tin job done.
0: Yes. Am I oh, right? That is exactly it.
1: Oh, where did that ethos kind of come from? Because um, as Phil will know, I own many cookbooks and I actually cook from them. And I know a lot of people buy cookbooks often and, and don't cook from them. So where was the the sort of ease of it from you? Because again, they, they range so much from ingredients and difficulty often in other books, I find.
0: Sorry, the dog. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's fine. The dog interruptions are fine. Is that Pepper, is it? Pepper, yeah. So she chooses her noisiest toy to bang on the floor when I have a. Bang on the floor. <laughs> it's like, fine. I think the-
2: Is she like your minder? Is that how it works? If we ask you a really intrusive, invasive yeah. personal question, oh, will the-, the dog just bark. Have you trained the dog to do that? Yeah. And the dog That's says, "Wrap it. Wrap the interview." That's a
0: great idea. I should get her. To- <laughs> <laughs> so, the idea behind that sort of ease of just one tin and less chopping is specifically because I cook for a living. So. Um, when I come home, I want something nice and fresh and interesting to eat, but I just don't want to be in the kitchen for any longer than I have to be because I've spent all day on my feet in the kitchen. So it, it really developed as a sort of, well, I want something fresh to eat because I'm, you know, I just don't want a resume meal. I want something fresh, but I also want to spend minimum time in the kitchen. What's going to enable that? What, what is going to enable that? Well, that's the oven and mm. chop things for five minutes, stick them in a tin, leave the kitchen go and sit down with a glass of wine watch half an hour of something on netflix and then dinner's done and i found myself doing that so often and i'd always thought you know everyone who works in food probably at the back of their mind oh, have to write a cookbook about something <laughs> oh hang on a sec I, like other people are also exhausted when they finish mm. work maybe there's a whole book idea in this so i got my like big giant pieces of paper out and hey pepper
2: <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad you clarified what that noise was
0: there. i have put I mean, a jar of bubble solution on the table because she'll now stare at that obsessively for the next 45 minutes expecting <laughs> bubbles to come out
2: you've added more pepper to this recording than any of your recipes
0: <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. About that. i really like the
1: idea of the ease of cooking because i was actually uh, again i like I love cooking, but, you know, some days it's enjoyable and other days it's a bit of a chore, depending on how busy you are. And I find it really frustrating as somebody who genuinely enjoys it anyway, as does my husband, I should clarify. So we kind of split the cooking between us. But Mm -hmm. um, I kind of, so often you listen to uh, celebrities say, there was actually one on the radio at the weekend who will remain nameless, but they're like, oh, you know, know, don't complain about cooking, go into the kitchen, like take a leisurely time, enjoy it. And I'm like, yeah, that's... All very well if you haven't got kids, if you haven't yes. just been working for 10 hours and you're knackered and you're hungry. Um absolutely.
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, sometimes, yes, you do just think, do you know what? I've suddenly got some time to myself. There's a, a, a recipe in a cookbook that looks a bit complicated, but I I genuinely feel like going and spending three hours in the kitchen, but that just doesn't happen that often. No. Before. Like there's always something you would rather do. Um, and cooking can be really relaxing. But I think simplicity is always key because the more complicated your dish is, the more likely you'll get frazzled, the more likely there are elements that might muck up and then you think I've made all this effort for what? And what I kind of liked about these dishes as I developed them was really the return that you get for the amount of effort, it's always going to be more. And then it's an added bonus that it's actually super tasty and really, really nice. Um so
2: And you've missed off a third added bonus, which is that there's hardly any washing up.
0: Hardly any washing up, exactly. So you're always gonna win on that. no just a bit of so- people are like, oh, is it really hard to clean the roasting tin? It's like, no, oh, just soak it. Soak it for forty minutes. It'll be fine. Um I'd yeah. rather do that than wash up six pots and pans. Yeah. So
2: I wanted to ask you, is that I mean I was joking, but is how much of this was about limiting time in the kitchen and how much of it was about limiting cleanup time? <laughs>
0: which is, you know um, what I
2: mean. Which annoyed you the most?
0: I would say it was limiting time in the kitchen because, yeah, I do love to cook and I do love to be in the kitchen, but I also just didn't, I just didn't want to be standing anymore. And funnily enough, that's kind of a like a, a section of readers have come in and said that that's really useful for people with disabilities or people with mobility issues. That that was not an expected, well, another, another bonus. And is it that it's helpful for? For people going through those issues or with illnesses so I was really glad to think that you've got such wide appeal so from like busy mums families dads who of having a go in the kitchen to you know people across the whole spectrum and a really nice one is um people who've written in to say that their parents are cooking from it so people about our age I'm like my dad's 17 he's never really cooked anything before and he's made this from your book I'm like that's so sweet that a 70 year old man who's never cooked he's like look at my kid. I think that's the nicest thing to get feedback from people who are cooking it and kind of get that really nice feeling that oh wow there are lots of people who are enjoying these dishes as well
2: And can I ask you, why do you think that is specifically about you? Because there are so many cookbooks around now, and everyone's offering do it quickly, do it this way, do it that way, hassle free cooking, (laughs) 10 minute recipes. Do you know what I mean? There's loads of them. Why do you think that yours has punched through and encouraged that 70 year old man to have his first go at cooking?
0: Well, I guess the first bit is the premise, because everyone can get behind chops for five minutes tin let the oven do the work so that's a really easy strap line for someone who might be a bit wary of cooking and the, and of course the limited washing up but then I think what I've brought to the recipes would be thinking about layering flavors in a way that isn't intimidating so not a super long list of recipes uh, so it's not a super long list of ingredients but just thinking about the flavor that you get when you roast in the oven so out of bit of spice, bit of salt, bit of oil, easy. And then just a really simple sort of dressing. So some acidity, lime juice, um, lemon juice, olive oil, handful of nuts for texture, handful of herbs for freshness, and just sort of breaking things down into this. It's a bit formulaic, but it also really works. So when it, when it, it comes together, it feels like it's more than the sum of its parts. And that's maybe something from like a little bit of experience restaurant chefing or when you go out to a nice restaurant and you've got like lots of beautiful components on your plate and you think, well, I don't have time to do all this at home. But I can potentially recreate it if I just simplify, simplify, simplify and you still get something really nice.
1: Yeah, because I I find that actually looking at... um... So one of the ones I haven't made yet from your book is the tandoori chicken with roasted sweet potato and mint. And you use a lot of smoked paprika in that recipe, which is something that I cook with a lot anyway. But I haven't seen that in a tandoori recipe before as a kind of quick, not cheat, because I don't particularly like that word, but a quick way to get that colour and that depth of flavour in a tandoori recipe.
0: Yes. I mean, I think that I love tandoori chicken, but, you know, it's everyone knows it's food colouring in a restaurant. And I don't want to advocate using food colouring at home. So smoked paprika, I think, is a really good halfway house between get a bit of red. It's not going to be red, bit red. But then also that idea that it's being done in a hot tandoor and that kind of smokedness. So you're yeah getting a double whammy out of one ingredient that most people have.
2: Can I ask you, what was the first dish that you remember cooking uh, and how did you decide upon it? And was it at home? Was it at a friend's house? Give us the full picture of what ignited your passion for cooking.
0: Uh, Not a roasting tin dish, just any dish.
2: Anything. The very first, when you were a little girl, the first uh, thing you recall having a go at and thinking, wow, that was fun and it tasted good.
0: Blackjacks in the microwave. Because uh, microwave cookery was... I mean, it's fashionable now with mug cakes, but I feel like our generation was on that before with the book yeah. of microwave cookery, which mm. had this glazed roast chicken on the front cover, as if you could make a roast chicken in a microwave. But there was a, <laughs> <laughs> a great baking section, and uh, they had this lovely flapjack recipe, and it's super simple. Um, and you, you do it in a Pyrex lid just to make it even more 80s. And I remember we used to make that all the time because it's just an easy thing for kids to make. You know, you melt the golden syrup and the butter, you stir in the oats. Yeah, yeah. It's really pleasing when the oats are all like covered in the like, syrupy stuff, pat it down in the Pyrex, microwave it. And of course, because you microwave it, if you don't eat it within five minutes, of it's coming out the microwave, it sets really hard, <laughs> like a really hard biscuit. So then we, used to, we adapted that and made it in the oven and it was much better in the oven. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's so funny you should mention that because did you do microwave cooking yeah. that was the first thing i learned was a chocolate crunch oh, from it? a microwave cooking book and i remember the most exciting thing about it was that you had to get so many grams of digestives and it, it told you it instructed you to smash them in the bag with a rolling pin mm. and up until that that stage i had been told as a boy i wasn't allowed to smash rolling pins around didn't <laughs> I, mean, also, I was going boshing this bag of biscuits <laughs> But, yeah, same as you, day two, it was uh, a lot crunchier than it was chocolatey. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah, actually, my mum's go-to birthday cake for me and my sister when we were sort of probably teenagers or just before that was a microwave chocolate banana ring cake, um, which I still love. It's a that really good happy. cake. Mm. Yeah,
0: they, they have a really nice texture, I think. Mum's is a orange chocolate chip upside-down cake. So, you mm-hmm. know, when you turn it out, it's got orange slices on the outside and the orange chocolate chip puddingy stuff on the inside.
1: Really good. Yeah it's really good. It's really yeah. good. Although my I was a bit over ambitious in my first kind of I did like lots of cooking with my mum when I was younger, I kind of remember lots of standing on stools and staring and tasting things and burning my mouth and, and everything. But I I do this kind of still like a legendary when I was probably like 13, 14, I think I tried to kind of, I just overstretched myself. And I thought, right, I'm going to make this massive feast and it involved roasting pumpkin. And I was going to make these fruit tarts that had creme patisserie in them. And oh my word, trying to do creme patisserie when I was that young was just (laughs) like, it was lumpy. It tasted disgusting. I just remember getting in this awful mood hating the smell of the pumpkin it was just awful it was a proper like blah, and I'd used every pot in the kitchen it was awful
0: yeah I, I sympathize um but I think it's good to have that ambition like that's where you if you go that high kind of like well let's go back down to a reasonable level yeah. Always to try.
2: but you know when I think about some of my um most successful dishes that i'm good at now i'm only good at them now because they went wrong sound maybe the first or second go and i think you almost have to live through the error to go oh okay so next time i mustn't do it that way or i must make sure that i do that 15 <laughs> minutes earlier next time or 15 minutes later do you agree pepper yeah
0: i Excellent. mean pepper definitely agree. she's really good at making mistakes um, but i think you're, you're absolutely right in the kitchen i mean that is how you experiment and that is how you get better and if you can be confident and work through your mistakes Um, you're going to end up with something that's really amazing by the end. It's just sort of, if if you give up because it didn't work the first time, then you're, you know, you're limiting yourself. So yeah, as as with every walk of life, you only learn by making mistakes.
1: So I suppose it's the obvious next question, really. There are, you know, clearly a ton of brilliant recipes in your latest cookbook, but was there one that was the hardest to get right? That You were like, you know what, this is not going to defeat me. I'm just going to keep going at it until it tastes good.
0: Okay, you say that. Uh, I mean, I said that before and you say that now. But I would say with these recipes, what I do, so I don't know if this is, maybe this is interesting for your listeners, but what I do when I get a cookbook idea, so the roasting tin, the green roasting tin, quick roasting tin, I, I break down what the chapters are going to be, trying to be quite methodical. Otherwise you just think oh, 75 recipes, oh good God. So no, here are my chapter openings. Right. That's <laughs>
1: just like writing a, a, a fiction book as well. That's, you know, plotting. Yeah,
0: planning, planning, planning. And wow. I write my recipe title. So I'll take a couple of weeks to think, think through the titles wow. almost as you see them. So, um, you know, all in one Brazilian black beans and rice with avocado and radish salsa. And that really started as a way of me remembering what to put in the dish without mm. the fire underneath. So I have a list of recipes like that. And then it comes time to test them. And I so just put, I'm not particularly methodical. I go, well, I've got 75, right. I feel like this one today, I feel like this one today. And by the end of a few months, I'll see that there are maybe four that my eyes have always gone past and been like, nah, no, nah, not today. No, <laughs> not today. No, thanks. And it's super helpful because if I'm not interested enough to test just from my headline recipe title, why would a reader be? Mm. And I often think with those, like, all right, well, I'll give it a go. But maybe it's because the concept wasn't exciting enough. And I I'll always give that list to my friends and family as well to say, look, I've got these recipes tested now. So at the end of four or five months, everything's got a rough recipe that I can email around. And everyone always picks the same ones. Um, So there are some I'm just like, well, I think I need to think about the ones that no one's picking, the ones that are not on any team because some so some of the recipes in the books like which I think are the most popular they've been tested like four or five times in loads of different people's houses because they've got me maybe I'll try that one thanks very much and then so the, the ones which don't appeal tend to I will scrap them mm-hmm. and then right what well, what what is going to and and it's good as well because at the end of a, a testing period say three four months you you kind of change your ideas from when you started, mm-hmm. so that is really helpful. So, which are the most popular ones then that people were
1: like? I know which is the one that we cooked first from your cookbook, but I'm intrigued to hear your ones first and then see if mine matched up. Oh, from which
0: book? From the, from, from the new, from the latest one. Oh, from the latest one. Um, so, I am a big fan of your classic chicken tray bake. So, there's one that I just thought. Am I putting too much in this? No. So, it's chicken chorizo um, and sweet corn, and you roast those with kind of like chipotle, and then you make um, a black bean, feta, coriander, lime, kind of like that, and that marinates while your chicken's in the, in the oven. And then you pour this kind of like black bean, coriander, feta dressing over the top. So I realize you have more sources of salt than maybe you need with the feta <laughs> and the chorizo, but you've got the lime to balance it out, and then the sweet corn that's just delicious with those. So I love that that's a balanced meal and it just kind of whacks you around the head with all the flavour. So I'd say that's one of my favourites. I also really like the paneer dishes and the, another one's the miso chicken because that's super easy. Uh, what is your favourite?
1: <laughs> okay, so the you've mentioned two of the ones that we cook. So last night um, mm. I cooked for the family. So I've got two kids and one husband um, and <laughs> four cats. And uh, <laughs> we cooked the paneer potato and pea recipe oh, and yes. doors and also the lentil dal recipe because we have lentil dal quite a lot but I hadn't cooked it in the oven before which was super easy it yes. was amazing um but the very first one my husband cooked the creole spiced crab tarts
0: Yes, I love so that one I nice. said that as a favorite so nice I'm gonna make that now I don't
1: think I've got any crab in yeah so and, and, and things like that I love that you're like <laughs> just use tin
0: crab because it's, it's actually really difficult to get well, also it's really expensive like yeah. if you see a tub in Waitrose and it's picked white crab meat you're looking at 6 quid for about that month. Yeah. Um, and um, by the time you put all of that hot sauce and um, Philadelphia through it it only makes any difference that it's tin crab No.
2: that's something I wanted to touch on with you actually I kind of feel and I feel I've got evidence to support this it's cheaper to eat crap than it is to eat well Um. what do you think about that If I think about the cost of a Big Mac meal, for example, or if I think about going to the supermarket and buying something frozen from the freezer rather than component parts.
0: I'm not sure I'm very good at making that judgment because I I don't often get the sort of frozen things. And I think it really does depend where you shop because, you know, if you go to Waitrose, you sort of buy two things, and you're like, why is it (laughs) £25? Out, Mm, But you go to after. And I often, I did most of my shopping for the green roasting tin there because they had really good, I live near one, really good fruit and veg. Mm. So I was basically just buying bags and bags of veg. And I'd fill a trolley with veg and it would come to 20 quid. Mm. And I think, wow, this, if you are just kind of buying veg and you've got your staples at home, say rice, lentils, pasta, tin tomatoes and stuff, it's actually really cheap to eat vegetarian because mm. things like carrots, potatoes, onions, like, they don't cost very much.
2: But but I think sorry, I think twenty quid for, just for a bag of veg is really expensive. Not
0: bad. It was like a trolley. I mean, it was oh, like, okay. vol- There's a trolley. Load. Like, yeah. So much. It was almost like spend as much as you fill your trolley with as much as you want, and it won't be more than twenty quid.
2: But if I took you around Iceland and we spent twenty quid, <laughs> we'd have <laughs> we, we would have five meals. I'm not sure of the nutritional value. <laughs> that might, might be high, might not. We'd have to test it. But to see the point? I'm, I'm kind of getting that is that, I mean, if you don't do it, you maybe don't know, but I think it's hard in this day and age, it's hard to encourage people to cook or to eat healthily when the alternative is so cheap for them.
1: Um, I I would combat that by saying that though, once you do, I mean, I I know that I'm really fortunate because my mum taught both me and my sister how to cook and and I think Mm. once you get into cooking and realise that it makes you feel better, once you eat food often that you've cooked yourself, I mean, we're probably like one of the strange families who don't get me wrong. I love going on holiday and I love eating out. But once I've kind of eaten out a lot on holiday, I'm like, done. I just want to have like some of the, my food or my husband's food that we cook yeah. because it kind of, it just doesn't sit yeah. quite so well. You know, you kind of like what you're, I don't want to say what you're used to. Cause that sounds really naff, but
2: no, I think it's about a volume of rich food mm, as well, isn't yeah, it? When you're on. I certainly, I share that with you on holiday. I get that thing. At first couple of days, you think, brilliant, I can have what I want. Oh, I'm on holiday. And then by day five, you're like, I'm killing for soup.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like, Mine's broccoli. Yeah. I, just want some... I just want to go home and eat broccoli, like dressed really simply with like chilli and garlic. Because you just yeah. Don't yeah. simply dress things abroad. You're right. It's quite like really rich and...
1: I think often it's a mindset as well because um I should say Phil knows this but I don't eat meat um I oh. haven't done since I was about 12 um but uh it never puts me off cookbooks. so for, so I also cooked the uh, me and my husband cooked the miso chicken and aubergine dish which was so delicious oh my word so tasty it's got that real umami thing in it um but I just substituted out the chicken and put in a load of courgettes instead because we had some oh, of them right, um and yeah it worked just as well and sometimes you know I'll, I'll I'll basically read through all the recipes and I'll read through all the meat recipes as well the one thing actually that I find quite hard to replicate is chorizo that you mentioned earlier because I think it's quite difficult to get that taste in a vegetarian sense unless you kind of go down a porcini mushroom time type, type of route or something but it doesn't
0: quite hit it sometimes I mean I think maybe smoked paprika mm. and butter like something to give you a bit of fat and the smoked paprika to give you the um you know that kind of smoky flavor but you're right it, it is a tough one like bacon is quite a tough one to recreate
1: yeah yeah but sort of on that I think I've kind of grown up never doing the kind of meat and two veg thing anyway so I kind of we always have a lot of like rice actually is, is what's kind of cooked most I think in our house um and I think that kind of with the fast food element that might be one of the switches to make some kind of we don't have that many kind of potato
0: and meat things yeah
2: okay yeah Yeah. that's a good observation
0: yeah i probably sound a little bit out of touch but i know food writers who are much better on this than me like jack monroe you know Mm. she her stuff is kind of like from scratch like she does use tins like tinned goods to help out in terms of the price but that's that was properly good economizing without buying ready meals and i feel like she's probably done a lot of groundwork on why economically can work out if if, if you know how to cook or if you've got a good guide to cooking and you shop carefully I think it may be cheaper to as you say to buy your ready meals than that but if you put the investment of time in then perhaps you're getting more in terms of clever shopping and clever cooking money and
2: that's absolutely how I learned to cook I mean that's absolutely how I learned to cook there was a tv series on that Jamie did and I thought well if they can do it (laughs) <laughs> there's no reason do you know what I mean and yeah. so that was the motivator and so I started off with a really simple kind of chicken breast in pancetta I remember
0: him doing that on a football bench. yeah <laughs>
2: and then from there progressed up to his lasagna and then off the lasagna to a full Sunday roast and the, to do a full Sunday roast which I've done for the in-laws now from scratch so none of it's imported do you know what yeah. I mean I'm doing my own everything that's a massive piece of satisfaction yeah and um, I think the thing I learned from that which it comes across in your book massively it's the flavours mm so it's what you add and you're adding to the cooking not necessarily to eat some of these ingredients but to flavor what you are going to eat that was a huge revelation to me
0: oh interesting yeah i think it's um, it's when you build up things like things like spicing and that so you're not going to be whacked over the head with chili but you've got a nice little balance of things that kind will give you a bit of warmth um yeah i think that's what you're looking for and in like in that which i will recommend to you at the end of the podcast um, Samin Nosrat's salt, fat, acid, heat, when that came out I was like oh that's exactly what I kind of thought but didn't really articulate in words but she's absolutely right that balance like enough oil, enough salt, enough like acidity um, and then yeah obviously heat it up or have it raw as a salad. Um, she's just so spot on that when you when you do that and also when you're cooking from scratch as well I think you, I'd want to write it in like big letters on the front of every book. Just taste it, taste it, taste it, taste it. Like don't, okay. I've given you a decent guide on how for my taste, follow it exactly.
2: Yeah, It will
0: probably be pretty nice because I, I like it and I'm a bit fussy. So if I like it, you probably will. But if you don't taste as you go along or you make a dressing and you go, oh God, it's really bland. But it's like, well, maybe you needed some more salt. Maybe so. I mean, I put it in small letters, not in bold, because that would be a bit passag at the end. I think, (laughs) Um, but it's always before you put anything on the table to serve to your friends and family. take a forkful and adjust, and that's just so important. I think for years, I I was lucky cooking where I just sort of plonk it on the table and we're like, oh, it's quite nice, yeah. But I think, oh, it's a bit late actually if my first fork falls at the table. So just do it in the
2: kitchen. and on that, right, can I ask your advice? So um, I don't mind telling you, I have no shame in telling you as a 46-year-old male that my palate only really broadened probably quite as late as 39, 40 when I met my wife and she was like, well, try this. And she was cooking a whole load of stuff that I would never have cooked. Mm-hmm. Now we've got kids, we're trying to expand the palate of our four-year-olds. Uh-huh. How would you advise that we do that? I mean, my wife's read one theory that you have to give a kid a food 10 times before they actually decide they don't like it. So you give it them first time, don't like it, mommy. Well, you've got to go another nine times because then really? eventually you might crack them. Oh, yeah, I don't know really what, you've, what your view is of that, but I'm really interested in, for someone like you who uses a load of flavors, how you would encourage me as an adult and my son as a child to broaden our palates.
0: Um, I, I mean, it's going to depend on. So I was trying different dishes is, I think it's a two way answer one, with, one for kids and one for adults. Because at least for adults, you know, if you've gone through the trouble of making it, and you're like, mm, it's not quite to my palate, right? Just put a dollop of yogurt on and I'll, I'll finish my plate. Great way to finish a plate. For a kid, I don't know, I quite like the idea of just sort of leaving things out and then hoping for the best. You know, if they're hungry, they'll pick it up. I quite like that baby-led weaning. I got a few people writing saying, oh, I'm using your books for baby-led weaning. And I'm like, should you do that with the salt content? I don't know. <laughs> 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 just say saying that, you know, their kids would just sort of grab whatever they like the look of from a cooled roasting tin. And Chorizo was a big favorite, so I'm, like, I'm really sure that your baby shouldn't be eating big hunks of Chorizo <laughs> <laughs> But I think that sort of, I, I have a very fussy dog, who, a uh, fussy eater is a dog as well. I mean, sh- hang on, can't do words, not helping. <laughs> She's a really fussy eater, and I'm trying to be more relaxed in there. Okay, like if I see something that's on offer at the supermarket that she might like with a yellow sticker, I think, do you know what, it's just worth, in terms of her Growth as a dog to try different things, and I'll try cooking this up for her, and just like leave a little bit out, and if I don't stress at her, like follow her around with a spoon, yeah. she's much more likely to be like, "Oh, this is interesting. I'll try this."
2: So, peaking curiosity rather than forcing.
0: Yeah, I guess it. so. And I guess if, if you're the kind of kid who's interesting interested in what mummy and daddy are eating, you might be more likely to try something off their plate. Is that something you do? If you're having something like, oh, "Do you want to try this?"
2: Yeah, but you know what's interesting is you're right. It's almost reverse psychology because if I say do you want to try it, he'll say no. <laughs> mm.
0: <laughs>
2: but if I sit there and go, oh, this is a, ma- oh, this is great. What have you got, Daddy? Uh, you know what I mean? It's yeah. a bit,
1: yeah, isn't <laughs> it? Yeah. Well, actually, what well, I mean, we we cook um, sort of a lot of different foods and flavors. Anyway, and both my kids have been. My kids are now seven and eleven, and they've had different things that they've liked early on like my daughter was like well into olives like aged two (laughs) and stuff and things and super salty um (laughs) but I think I think that's quite common as well but actually interestingly the paneer one that we had yesterday um my seven-year-old I don't think had had paneer before in that similar way where I think we'd said "Oh, try this you like cheese you like peas like but I just kind of forgot to say it last night and then he was eating it with the dal and he just went what is this kind of it's kind of squidgy Squidgy squeaky, so tasty in this. I was like, oh, that's Pania.
0: <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> so they're forgetting to tell yeah. you
1: <laughs> Exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I was gonna ask when you brought up um Jack Monroe earlier. Because one thing we sort of found when we've been chatting to fiction and non-fiction authors throughout this podcast series so far is that there's there seems to be a real camaraderie between writers and they are generally very supportive of each other. And I wondered what it was like in the cookbook world, because there are obviously some, you know, like like fiction as well. There are some huge personalities out there. Um, Does it feel very supportive? Is there any kind of sort of
0: competitive edge there? How does that work? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I've got a few friends who are, who write cookbooks as well who I'd say, like, close friends, like, help them move out of their house when they can't. Mm-hmm. So there's that, and then there's people you know because you meet them at events and you're generally supportive of each other's work. So I think, on the whole, it's sort of a supportive environment. The competition would be that it's a limited market and there's, obviously, if something's doing well, as in many kinds of publication then <laughs> that everyone wants to bring out the same thing so you've just got to slightly rise above and go well I'm just glad that people are cooking <laughs>
1: yeah so is that your polite way of saying there was like a raft of roasting tin-esque type books that came out once this did well yeah
0: Potentially, yes yeah. so yeah, <laughs> I think the um I think just, just smiling and acknowledging that well if yeah if you if you've been successful then obviously the way publishing works is well that's probably a sure fight. But I thing that's going to sell, um, and trying not to take it personally really helps. But I think that's helped as the books have gone on. Like to start with, I just like, "But what if, what if no one buys mine because someone has brought out a new one?" And then having publishing friends be like, "That's not how it works, Penny. Like the first one usually does the best." So you're doing fine. You've got four of them. You're doing fine. <laughs> <laughs>
2: rog, can I talk to you about um, Natalie? Because I'm slightly worried about her. <laughs>
0: <That's> she, um,
2: <laughs> she buys cookbooks and reads them cover to cover, page from page, as if they are a fiction book. Oh, yeah. And I, I've, Oh, okay, so you do it as well. Yeah,
0: I, I do it with sticky tabs.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Hang on, who's, who's sticky tabs?
0: Sticky tabs, those ones.
2: All right, so you do it and then you mark. And are they the ones you want to cook? Yeah.
0: The ones I want to cook or if I find something particularly funny, I'll tab, tab that as well.
2: So, would you actually use a bookmark then? Would you, if you're reading in bed? You know, do you do ten pages and stick a bookmark in so you know where you've got to?
0: No, I'm afraid I'm a page folder, uh, a turn on oh. page <laughs> corners, not bookmark gal. because they just fall on your face when you try and read in bed. <laughs> it's really yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so tabs, but um, yeah, I love le- legal tabs; they're the best. Uh, and yeah. are yours are yours color coded as well, actually? Uh,
1: these ones they're not color coded. These are just color coded because I had a bunch of pretty ones, but um, oh. uh yeah they're just kind of different ones that I that I've either got know that I've got in the cupboard already or in the fridge so I can cook them in the next couple of weeks or they're ones I want to go back to um but I'll kind of reread them over and over again I find it really relaxing to kind of flick through Phil finds it hilarious
0: (laughs) No, I think that's completely normal um and it's a really good way of assessing how prominent that book's going to be in your pile of stuff to make Mm -hmm. because if you read through it and you haven't tabbed anything like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> often when I like, if I get a really good cookbook and I put a picture on Instagram you get a really happy author writing back being like I love how many tabs you've got in the top of it um and yeah if there's no tabs it's probably not going to be good. yeah
2: wow so this is an actual thing then that I need oh, yeah. to get involved yeah. in and
0: it's also being really organized so I have those tabs as well but sometimes I cut up post-it notes and then I write what the recipe is so I can see it like on the
2: Protruding from the top of the side, book. yeah.
0: So it's got like a little on the side, tiny scribbly handwriting, so I can turn to the exact recipe. Something really
1: nerdy about it. No, I feel fully vindicated. I'm loving this.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, on, on that note, then, um, we ask all the writers that come on bestsellers to read a bit for us. And I said to Natalie, Surely what, I mean, he's not going to read from a, a recipe book. And Natalie went, She is. Oh, yes, yeah. so
0: there are there are wordy bits, I mean, not not too many wordy bits. Mostly pictures, though Alice would approve. But uh, here we go. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I think I think this is a nice bit. Any particular, <laughs> any particular voice that you'd like it in? Uh, in the picture off of MasterChef, or uh,
2: I think book, book at bedtime voice at would be bedtime,
0: nice. <laughs> I was the kind of fifteen-year-old who took a few bites of a new dish on holiday and experienced the sort of heady rush that I'd later recognize in Remy from Ratatouille. Hollandaise sauce with salmon and asparagus in Mauritius, magical, a paella cooked on an open flame at the table next to us in Granada, downing tiny cups of hot soup or interesting pastry confections pre-starter in Seville, taking pizza from the slice by an open window in Florence that was unlike any pizza I'd had before, And realising in those moments that eating food abroad was just the best thing. The only dish I remember returning was squid ink pasta in Rome, jet black complete with tentacles, ordered on the basis that sepia pasta, of which I'd never heard, sounded like a painting. What arrived didn't look like one. Visiting family in California, I could and did wander around supermarkets in a sort of ecstatic daze admiring the perfect fresh produce just as much as the aisles of bright, unfamiliarly packaged biscuits, cereal and cake mix. Trips to India included my insistence on a return visit to a less than salubrious hotel in the South on the basis that they'd served the best doughnuts, cardamom-scented, perfect, on a visit many years earlier. We arrived again to find they were no longer on the menu, and this was met with howls. I was 23 years old, but I still think about those donuts.
1: Yeah. I love that bit. <laughs> I nice. love it. Yeah, and nice. uh, uh, see, those are the things that when I pick up a cookbook and I start to read it, I feel like I, it's like a kindred spirit because likewise, <laughs> I that's exactly what I've done when I've gone on holiday. I, whenever I come back from holiday, people ask me how it is or how it was.
0: And I'll basically tell them through the meals that I ate. <laughs> <and> that's <laughs> the most important thing. Um, yeah. Do you both ever go back to the same holiday destination on the basis yeah. of the food too? Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah always yeah. and the other thing that I always kind of book into whatever holiday I go on is a visit to the supermarket and that's most of the souvenirs that I bring back are interesting things that even if I don't know what they are um I'll buy them and that's what's in my luggage it's not a kind of other souvenirs it's basically packets and, and stock cubes and things
2: there's a place in Mallorca we return back to uh, Rukmini and the restaurant that we love there uh, I'm loath to give it a mention because they deserve them, but I don't want everyone besieging it. But the um, he does a, a mixed paella, and we've never had two the same. That And that, I think, is a testament to just how amazing it is.
0: Oh, yeah. is uh, one of the places I was thinking of, actually, when you said places to go back to, because it's just – there's always something nice there, and I've definitely been back a couple of years in a row and gone to the same restaurant again there. Um, what was it? It was like a tapas place, but it was run by Germans, and – Right. It was just really good, like really elegant, nice, really tasty dishes. I should, have, I must have written down somewhere what I've. Oh, and the supermarkets there are great too. Such good supermarkets. Um, yeah. Also,
1: my my oldest friend, actually from primary school, she um uh sh- her partner's uh, Spanish, and they moved to Spain years and years ago. But we've been out to visit her a few times, and uh, I remember staying with her one time. This is in the last few years, and her partner he made. Just this amazing spanish lentils dish, spanish lentil dish with lots of um, smoked paprika in it but it was the first time i'd had lentils and alioli as a flavor um, combination yeah. and oh my word now i just like dollop alioli on lentils the whole
0: time <laughs> That's a great idea
1: so nice oh my word it's so nice
0: that there's that and also i like how much saffron they use like mm. decent saffron. so saffron alioli is probably my favorite my top, top mm. one really good
2: one. I'm just mad about saffron.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, I also wanted to ask you um, about one thing that I really like about your recipes and I like about how you write about them is that you're you kind of admit your mistakes as you go along. So, for example, <laughs> in the dal recipe that uh, I made last night, you write in the recipe that you're supposed to swirl in some spinach at the end, and the picture hasn't got spinach in it. The spin the picture's got coriander on it, and you're like, "Yeah, at the end, I accidentally put coriander instead." So, you can do that if you like.
0: <laughs> but... <laughs> That's a, it's a slight benefit of, I suppose, doing the food for the pictures as well, because if I was being employed by another author to do that they'd be quite hacked off sort of a, you ruin the picture but for me I can just think yeah I ruin the picture guys but you know you do, do what you like it's fine
1: well so that that's an interesting can you just demystify that a bit for people who don't know how food styling works then so, in cookbooks
0: yeah so usually you you wouldn't expect the author to, to of a cookbook to cook and style the dishes on a photo shoot necessarily it depends on the budget and sometimes publishers. Publishers can be a bit naughty and just say, well, you wrote the recipes so you can style them for the book. But if you've got a bit of foresight, you will hire a food stylist because that's their job to make food look nice to the camera. And that's what you, you that was your job? Yeah, it's still my job. Mm. I, I mean, books have kind of taken over a bit, but it's still my, my day job. And I like to keep it up and go on shoots because um, it's a good skill set to have. Um, so you just have an eye for what looks nice and you'll work with a prop stylist who will sort all the plates and things. Different department. I'm not plates. I'm just food, um, mm-hmm. and it's it helps. I think in a way with these books because I've always had an idea how it was going to look as well. Knowing that I was going to have to style it on a shoot, and if it was just a plate of brown, I'd have a hard time selling it to people with a photograph of each dish. The mm-hmm. way that the flavors of, and you eat with your eyes. So I want as much as possible for when people cook these dishes for them to look like I to look like the pictures in the book as well. Not yeah. too fast with, but I feel like they're achievable looking, and I do get I do get comments from people with, where they, you know, do a picture of it and then they send one on Instagram. Look, it looks like the picture in the yeah. book. Yes. yes.
2: I can't tell you how important that is as, mm-hmm. as an amateur cook. If you're trying something and what you're trying to achieve is replication of an image in a book. Yeah if it doesn't look like that, even if it tastes great, you kind of feel your heart sinks. You feel like you haven't done it properly. Yeah, I know. Well, and I've, I've said it so many times out loud in the kitchen. Why does it look like hers? Then how come that doesn't look like, what have
0: I done? Why is not that <laughs> repli- So
2: it's really well, important, I think. Uh, in-
0: although I have to say with these, they often don't look as nice as they do in the pictures because the photographer's so good. So I'll pass in one of these dishes and I'll be like, yeah, it looks like, looks nice. I'd happily put this on the table for my friends. And he takes a photo of it. i like, it looks so much better in your photograph than it does right. Uh, <laughs> so don't worry, maybe what you need is a super-duper camera to <laughs> take a picture of your dish and be like, yeah, now it looks like the book.
2: <laughs> the last one from me, I know Natalie's got one more, but last one from me is, you mentioned earlier how you uh, go through and read the books like Natalie does and that you put your tabs in. Like lo- so lots wondered... of people
1: do, not just me and Rookmini, lots of people do this.
2: <laughs> so I wanted to know from you, Rookmini, is there one recipe from someone else's book? Yeah that you remember tabbing and then you've cooked repeatedly since because you've fallen in love with it.
0: Yes, and I don't even have to think about that. It's um from Ruby Tando's flavor and she has got this Ghanaian chicken stew, chicken peanut stew, uh, which you could totally recreate um by the way you might have made it already Natalie um because I name check her and have a version with sweet potatoes in mm-hmm. the green roasting mm-hmm, tin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I know the uh, one you're talking about. It's just ridiculously nice. So I have no experience of so groundnut stew for readers who, readers, listeners, who aren't sure. It's, um, it's uh, like a Ghanaian like, African dish and it's um, made with peanuts and tomatoes. And um, this one, you've got scotch bonnet chili in it, sort of tomatoes and peppers cooked down. I think she, yeah, she puts peanut butter in it and there's this amazing rich tomatoy peanutty sauce that you cook the chicken in and, that is what I make for someone who's coming around. I kind of want to impress them with how amazing it is, but also it's just like I've just put a stew on the table. You know, looks <laughs> like it's no effort, but it
2: tastes
0: <sighs> so good. So, whose book is that again? That's Ruby Tando's Flavor, published by Clone okay. Windows.
1: Nice. Great. And then I just wanted to go back to something you were saying earlier, Phil, about your own palettes and that of your mm. kids and kind of how to get them to experiment a bit. And one thing that I only discovered quite late on, and I think I'm correcting this, I meant to double, triple check it before this, and then obviously I didn't, um, was that uh, <laughs> I have always hated coriander. And I know that coriander is one of those... Um, herbs that really polarise some people and but often that I really like ground coriander weirdly but actually the the leaf the herb um, tastes like soap to me um and then I found out later on that that's a genetic thing so some people are genetically that's that's what yeah that's what they'll taste the so the flavour of coriander will taste like soap and for others it tastes I assume lemony and really nice or something
0: um I I kind of know what you mean even though I do like coriander so I wonder if like somewhere halfway on the genetic scale which is like I can understand the soapy quality mm. but it doesn't put me off maybe yeah yeah. yeah yeah I know what that can mean
1: yeah but sometimes even um I, c- I can kind of live with it now so I don't I used to really hate it because I couldn't quite identify why it tasted off like the balance would be off on things if it was kind of scattered on top or you know you kind of go to a nice restaurant and they'd kind of put a load of coriander on top and are
2: there other foods like that then that there must be can't just be coriander can it
1: i don't are know the... actually
0: there must be yeah i um, um, mini really no well there's uh so apparently avocado cooked is one of them
1: yeah i don't like cooked avocado i was yes, gonna say I'm that actually the... there's a recipe in this book i was like yeah i won't do the cooked one
0: uh, so um again I, I don't know if it's, say it's genetic or not but for some people it just tastes incredibly bitter and horrible when it's baked and for other people it's like well it doesn't really taste that different from, from uncooked avocado so I think that's again a, a palate thing rather than a sort of this is 100 percent disgusting in all in all context. and broccoli as well I reckon is you know how kids kind of need to learn to like broccoli mm-hmm. or at least I did I, I don't think I ate broccoli till I was 22 and then suddenly I really started enjoying it. And I don't know if the cultivar changed or yeah. if, um suddenly I just got over myself. But for years I thought broccoli was just rank. And now I always have it in the grid.
2: Did you change the way you were cooking it or it was being cooked for you? Have you gone um, more al dente or have you gone softer with it? Because that can make a difference. I
0: think it probably. might have been that tender stem was like a good gateway drug. Right, mm. right, so yeah. my mum does a really good Delia. Rot- is it Delia or is it Mother Jaffrey? a roast again roasted broccoli like ordinary broccoli and cauliflower florets with garlic and crushed coriander seeds so you don't put ground but if you crush the seeds mm-hmm. a bit. and then i was like oh broccoli's really nice so yeah roasted broccoli was a good gateway tender stem because it's less watery and the stem's super tasty mm-hmm. uh and and yeah you're right i think maybe what puts you off is at school when it's sort of watery boiled yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as opposed yeah. to like do you know what quickly stir fry it blanch it or steam it toss it with some chili some garlic some oil it, it is how you cook it I think
1: but I think there's probably I think sort of just finally on, on your point again Phil with kind of kids and you probably I think I find that food eating is a bit like everything else. Like some days you feel like some things and other days you don't. I mean, there are some things that I'd eat the whole time. So basically rice and peas I'll eat whenever, but (laughs) I love it. But, uh, but you know, there are some days we are like, you know what? I just don't fancy that. And I think, I think kids are are kind of the same as well. You know, they might like whatever you've done one day and then the next day they're like, "Mm, I don't want it today.
0: And you kind of know what that's like, right?
2: Yeah. 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 I feel
0: a bit like that with leftovers actually. I'm, i know my my sister's a big batch cooker and with these recipes i have designed a lot of them for people to be able to like there's just one of you there's two of you you want to know the next day but i'm getting better at it now but i used to be so like, i don't want to eat the same thing two days in a row Ooh, boring
2: i'm the same i'm the same as you <laughs> yeah, my
1: seven-year-old's exactly the same too loves it one day won't eat it the next
2: <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah remember- i'm like we had that last night i don't want it tonight. we had it last night
0: oh god boring um, and then your food becomes a graveyard for half-eaten food that's never going to get defrosted so i think i quite like if i don't think you'd be able to do it as a book because it's probably too it wouldn't in- involve saying well, well you must have some mashed potato left over in your fridge you must have quite yeah, a hard yeah, one yeah. to write but i quite love a lot, quite a lot of cookbooks do book. do that though which is really annoying they're like well you've got they them do. the yeah, well, i don't have it so <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like if you, you know, if you have got leftover mash, you have got leftover this and that, like making kind of potato cakes, like frying things up in a different mm-hmm. way. Like, I love doing something different with the leftovers, as long as it's not the same bowl of slop. <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs>
1: I know exactly what you mean. Or just whack some alioli
0: on it and you'll be fine. Whack some alioli on like it, that's it. Or, yeah, make make it kind of like, make it a gratin. Just do yeah. something. Ah. <laughs>
2: Right, we need to get your recommendations, don't we, for um, other books is how we always conclude bestsellers. Can just two or three, and they can be whatever you want. They can be fiction, non-fiction, cookbooks, whatever you would like to recommend. Oh,
0: okay, so um, I'll start with a kind of cookbook, which is The Flavour Thesaurus by Nikki Segnitz. So that is, as you would guess from the title, a book of what goes with what. So it starts with A, and then it's like apple and blackberry, apple and celery, and this. And it's not a boring thesaurus. She's got these hilarious anecdotes. So either it's something a bit techy, like, oh, this is about the flavour compound, beautifully written, or it's some kind of hilarious thing about her being on holiday in Italy with an ex-boyfriend and how they ate this dish and it was great. And then they broke up. It's really funny.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So what's that called again? The
0: Flavour Thesaurus by Nikki Segnet. And it is, I would say, there's not a food writer. Everyone should admit to using it, but there is not a single recipe writer who does not refer to that as a Bible. Because if you've got a call from Waitrose magazine saying, "All oh, right, by Tuesday, we need five broccoli dishes, please. And your mind will go blank and go, shit, what goes with broccoli? Nothing, <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing. And look her book up and she's like, broccoli and anchovies. So you're like, right. mm-hmm. waitrose, you can have some broccoli and anchovy tarts. Broccoli and parmesan. Yeah. Right, we're going to do broccoli and parmesan pa- pasta dish. So we're getting the headline idea from her and making dishes. And she does have some great recipes as well in there, just sort of in-text recipes. So... I couldn't recommend her book enough and I I would not have written a single book without that book. I don't
1: own that and I'm still going to buy it. (laughs) Yeah, me too.
2: (laughs) I've just looked it up now to make sure it's saved.
0: It's really good. Um, And maybe a fiction one would be um, Fleischman is in trouble by uh, Taffy Brodessa-Akner. And that's great. It's about a guy in his fifties who's on Tinder in New York and it's one of those ones where it's an unreliable narrator and then the second half is from a different point of view. And it's so spot on about adult relationships. And especially when you're a bit older. I mean, I'm, I'm 35, but I felt like I empathised a lot when he's talking about how he got to that point in his relationships. And and then you they flip the whole thing with the second half. And it's genius. It's a really good book.
1: Yeah, I still haven't read that one, but I love her writing. I'm actually reading an earlier one of hers at the moment, which is called *The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo*, um, oh. which is really good. I didn't know she had anything else. Yeah, because... she's got yeah, she's got others. Yeah,
0: I've got mine here. <laughs> um,
2: this is why we do bestsellers, by the way, isn't it? Just so we can all swap, yeah. swap these amazing yeah. recommendations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: And um, I think the other one that I'd recommend, if for, for creative podcast listeners, is "On Doing Nothing" um, by Roman Muradov, and it's this really—I want to get it and show you now because it's in the other room. <laughs> it's this really slim book, a bit like those Penguin Fairy Tale books that you had when you were kids, like those mm-hmm. little hardback ones. And it's beautifully ir- illustrated by him, and it's about how doing sod all is really helpful for the creative process but with some very erudite references as to why. So he's got a section on how walking is sort of good for the brain. And it turns into a little essay on um, like French thinkers who wrote about walking and it's mm-hmm. beautifully written and really inspiring. And if you're the kind of person who beats yourself up about having an off day, you're still yeah.
1: like, mm. All no, the time.
0: my off day, yeah. my off day Take- is integral to my success as a person. And it's one of those books where you read it and you feel both cleverer and better about yourself. <laughs> and it's very short. What Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, those are such good recommendations. Um Really good. Yeah. Yeah, really good. Um this has been an utter pleasure. Thank you so much, Rick Minnie. Um, if for nothing else, for validating that it's okay and perfectly normal and natural <laughs> to read cookbooks.
0: Oh, uh, thank you. And I promise I didn't throw Pepper off the balcony so that she would shut up during our call.
2: Yeah, she did kind of go quiet halfway through. She
0: is, in fact, now, sorry about the mess in the room. Oh, that, that oh the she's
1: oh. flat out. That's yeah, wild. what's the thing of, like, you, you got some bubble solution out for her to just stare at?
0: Yeah, it, yeah that or a torch. So if you put a tor- <laughs> she loves chasing light like a cat. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you put a torch on, that's quite, my mum and I got quite a lot of, like, work done by just putting a torch on the table and then leaving her and she's going if
1: only that would work with kids.
0: I know. Well, that's what the television's for. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, true. It's a similar thing, right? It is.
2: Yeah, bright lights.
0: <laughs> Dog television as a bone or or to a torch or bolt.
1: Amazing. Oh, actually, we didn't mention you've got two more books on the way as well, right? So next year, two more books.
0: Yes. Um. uh The green barbecue will be out in spring. In no roasting New- tin. It's not in a roasting tin because it's a barbecue book. <laughs> it's a vegetarian barbecue book which is super exciting because often vegetarians get really sidelined at barbecues. Yeah. Uh, as you probably know, you're like, mm. oh, potato salad, mm, lovely, thanks very much. Right. <laughs> or, or, or you're like, oh, great. If you, you know, you don't have to be a very strict vegetarian to think it's a bit grim that your your veggie burger is being cooked on the same bit as the meat burgers and stuff. So <laughs> I, I really like that this is, I think it's about 50-50 vegan as well. Mm. And that wasn't really deliberate. I did a final head count at the end, and I was like, "Yes, I've written half a vegan book. Brilliant!"
2: <laughs> and have you used this recent spell of amazing weather to do your testing?
0: Yeah, with um, the barbecue? so the whole of well, the testing was done mostly during lockdown, but we had some really good weather, and I was out at my parents in Cambridgeshire. So, uh, because got a balcony here, so barbecuing is not really advisable, or allowed. <laughs> um, but, uh, but that was wonderful. I spent most of the most of lockdown in the garden in front of a barbecue, uh, inhaling lots of smoke, which is great. Um and here as well we've been shooting it in the sunshine and it's been lovely. Nice way to spend the summer. Is that one locked and loaded? Is it all done? It's locked and loaded and I just had an email before coming on here saying, I'd like to send final files. Can you please look at them? I was like, Yeah, sorry, 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 sorry. Amazing. (laughs) Wow. So yes, I'll do that that's
2: cool come back and see us in spring then will you please come back and see
0: us absolutely yes you can have uh, copies of the green barbecue
1: yay i'm actually having um we're having a barbecue tonight and i'm doing oh. a uh barbecued portobello so portobello reuben sandwiches basically so oh, portobello mushroom with sauerkraut and swiss cheese and like a russian dressing on top squished into um a sourdough muffin that my husband made well
0: oh, that's jammy I know. <laughs> Uh, I mean ending it with a sourdough muffin that my husband oh, made is just yeah he was one of
1: those he got into sourdough in lockdown and so I'm perfectly happy with that. So yeah, that's his Maybe domain.
0: Crumpets as well.
1: He's done he hasn't done crumpets, but he made like so that the English muffins. Oh my word, they're so good and they work so good with burgers. Um so yeah.
0: Making me really hungry now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Now, I don't want to mislead you listening into thinking that only Natalie wanted to do a cookbook, because I actually love cooking, and I'm self-taught, as you heard me explain there to Rukmini, and so once I progressed up the cooking scale, someone then said to me, well, you like cake, have you tried baking? And I said, no, and they said, oh, and if you've mastered cooking, try baking. And I would say to you, Natalie, and you Mm. do both, baking's much more of a science, isn't it? I think with cooking, I can get away with a handful of this, a pinch of that, but if you don't match the exact gram and baking, something won't rise, something will sink, Do you think?
1: Uh, I do, obviously. I'm not a cookbook writer. Maybe one day, who knows? (laughs) Um, But I would say that there's actually a lot more room for experimentation in baking as well, depending on depending on what you're getting out of it. So, I am definitely not somebody who makes the most beautiful cakes with like delicate icing and cut out mm. flowers and things, but I'm all about as long as it tastes good, that's what yeah. I'm interested yeah. in. I think there are a few basic rules, so things like the ra- the rising, the raising agents, um and the the sort of ratio you have there, but in terms of like Dry ingredients to wet ingredients. I'm quite liberal on if I haven't got buttermilk or if I haven't got sour cream or yogurt, I'll interchange them depending on what I've got in the fridge at the time. And then I sort of just get a bit of a, you sort of get a bit of a feel for how thick or wet the mixture should be before it goes in the oven. So even like some recipes, like I'll make and I'm like, oh, that looks really dry. So I'll just kind of slosh in a bit of milk um, to make it look a bit more what I think a cake batter should look like and most of the time it's fine sometimes it doesn't work but most of the time it's generally fine it still tastes good
2: well, okay interesting that me you must be better at baking than me then I don't feel I could do that or, I, or I'd break the science that's what I worry about do you know what mm. what I
1: mean?
2: we should remark at this point how lovely Rock Mini was Yeah, we not, should. I, I'd not met her before had you met her before
1: <laughs> no I hadn't yeah I but I have cooked really a lot of sweet. her things Um yeah yeah really nice I think she and knew that
2: she could tell that that was it was more than just a booking to be
1: yeah yeah and um I did show her my um the, all the tabs that are done on her book that I want, of things that I want to cook, which again, like I'm really pleased that other people do this. <laughs> I feel like there's a whole family I didn't know that existed out there.
2: <laughs> you need to start a Twitter handle. Which would be what? <laughs> at at colourful book tabs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice thing. Um, I didn't kind of go into the other thing that I do, which is I cut out, you know, you're going to think I'm, you think I'm weird already. So like if, if there are recipes that I really like in magazines, because Otherwise you have like a pile of magazines like stacking up and that doesn't work. So I rip them out and I put them into those plastic um, pockets for like A4 folders. And I've got like a stack of folders of recipe folders that I've then like tabbed and put into like, oh, these are like breakfast recipes from magazines and stuff and things. So then I can actually flick through them like a book that I've made myself and I'll actually cook from it.
2: Yeah, that's good. I've got a drawer in the kitchen, which is full of printouts from the Internet.
1: Ah, there you go. But the trouble is each time
2: you use them and then you spill an, an ingredient on them. And then they go back in the drawer and they harden and they discolour. and
1: Yeah, hence the plastic covering. So you just pop the yeah. uh, recipe in there and then it's all, you're good to go.
2: I mean, what we've learned from that little chat there is that you're much more organised than I am.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I say that. There, there is still a stack of magazines I still need to go through that I haven't done that, which is kind of like a nice, like, you know, that limbo time, which I suppose we've all been living in for 2020. Uh, and I haven't done this at all because I haven't had time. But um, between Christmas and New Year, it's quite nice. Um, I do a lot of it then, maybe.
2: Oh, to go through, cut out the ones you want to keep yeah. and then ditch the mags.
1: Yeah, yeah. Can't you get your
2: kids to do that for you?
1: They'll probably go like, what now? Can we play Minecraft? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's that much of an incentive. Um, yeah, so no, just group- on
2: this, right, yeah. have you seen this advert? That, I mean, we're getting way distracted, but I feel, uh, this is therapy for me. Have you seen the advert that Rio Ferdinand does? And it's for BT. And it's how they will help you to keep uh, tabs on your kids' computing time right no I and he haven't. says he sits there and says to camera right i mean when my kids coming from school they're straight on to the to the games right he said and if you know they'd be playing at midnight and then they're just say, Oh, we didn't know what the time was and i just thought really isn't that isn't that your job as their dad <laughs> yeah to go perhaps a few hours before midnight right come on yeah <laughs> But yeah. then you know, mine, mine are very young, so so it's uh, we still have to limit screen time with them. But it's more, they, they're not playing those kind of games yet. I suppose yours are probably. If you mentioned Fort, Fortnite, Minecraft was yours, was it?
1: Yeah, we don't let them play Fortnite with, with those parents. And um, um, just to get it back to yeah, books on. before we end, what, what are you reading anything for pleasure at the moment?
2: Uh, I mean, am I? <laughs> <laughs> I only make that noise because I've got to read for the Times radio show mm. and for bestsellers. Um, so that doesn't mean I'm not deriving pleasure from what I'm reading but I think your question is am I reading anything without a work obligation the answer yeah. is no, no at the moment I've got okay. I've got a week off coming soon and yeah, I've lined you got up some, yeah, what, yeah so lined up? Stephen King um I think it's called If It Bleeds yeah I've um I've purchased that and I am uh ready to get stuck into that and that, I think that's his um, collection of short stories. And I've got um, um, I want to finish some of the stories in Adam Kay's Dear NHS. 100 Stories ah, to Say yeah, Thank You, yeah, which yeah. is actually 119. Yeah. Um, and um, I can recommend a very good book that I'm definitely doing for the radio show called City of Spies, uh, which is a debut um, by someone who works at the Ministry of Defence. And that's excellent. Uh, and I think, I'm just going through my online library, I think that's...
1: Um,
2: I mean, I do want to read That Lady in Waiting as well mm. by A- Anne G- Glyn Connor. Yeah, yeah. I do want uh, need- to.
1: I need to do a correction, actually, which I will message Rick Meany about as well, because she was talking about um, Fleischman is in Trouble, which I haven't read yet, which is written by Taffy Brodesser-Akner. And I confused it with Taylor Jenkins Reid, who wrote that book I was talking about, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Taylor also
2: wrote Daisy Jones and the Six.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's what I confused. Um, So I I I think they're sort of similar in tone. Uh, from what I can gather, but yeah, um, she is correct in when she was saying that Taffy Brodser Achner for Fleischman that was her debut. Um, and it's Taylor Jenkins Reid who's written other things.
2: Yes, that's all right. You're mixing up your uh, women whose first names begin with T and both have double barrels. I mean, it's yeah. thing you can see how it's happened.
1: Yeah, you can no, see no what it just all... did, right? <laughs>
2: Uh, the other thing that I've saved for my week off is that Ian Rankin, who I love and adore, as you know, has very mm-hmm. kindly sent me an advanced copy of the new Rebus.
1: Ooh, nice.
2: And I will, I don't think that's out for a couple of months, and I will get stuck into that on my mm-hmm. week off as well. What about you? What are you reading for pleasure?
1: Uh, so it's that one. It's The Seven Husbands of Evelyn. Oh, is it? Okay. Hugo. Yeah, which is is just really fun. Um, it's Did you about... read Daisy Jones? No, I haven't. don't you'd love it. You'd I love know it. that I'd love With it. With your
2: background in interviewing bands.
1: <laughs> yeah. The reason, again, this is going to sound really pretentious, the reason why I haven't read it is because the second book that I'm planning to write, I know I'm still doing the edits on my first book and I haven't got a publishing deal, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the second book is kind of set in a similar world to Daisy Jones and the Sixth, so I don't want to read it at this point because um, I I don't want to kind of, I'll probably read it and go, oh, it's just amazing. Like, I was just, like, not write that when I was thinking of writing because how can I better her words, Um and I don't want to do that to myself just yet. But I really, I've wanted to read that book for ages, Daisy Jones and the Six. So I will read it um, probably at some point. <laughs> are
2: you, um, well, so when you say that, are you just concerned that you're doing something about a band or are you concerned about, because it's a very unique style to Daisy Jones. Are you familiar with the style?
1: Yeah, um, I am. Um, yeah, I think I just don't want it, I just don't want it to confuse my thinking at all, which I don't think it necessarily would Um I don't know when's a good time to do it though. So if I then do write that second book, and then if I read it and go, "Oh shit," <laughs> like I really should have read it first, because actually,
2: it I would could, have inspired Yeah,
1: or whatever. But yeah,
2: it's an interesting question, that yeah. isn't it? I suppose if you're if you're going to write something, do you read what other people have written about that thing, or do you put it off?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. actors
2: have the same dilemma don't they I often speak to an actor and I'll say so you know if it's about a book I'll say did you go and read the book and some of them say oh yeah I really wanted to absorb the source material before playing the role and others say no I wanted to just come to it
1: fresh and yeah yeah I guess no I guess everyone has their own way of of doing it um yeah that's just what I was feeling at the time we'll probably chat next time I'll be like yeah I just read Daisy Jones and the Six it's amazing
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right, if you want to let us know what you're reading, it's um, bestsellerspodcast at gmail.com. Bestsellerspodcast, all one word, bestsellerspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're also just mulling over whether we plough on till Christmas. So, in a complete act of utter vanity, if you'd like to get in touch and say yes, please do. We love bestsellers, don't break. <laughs> plough makes it sound Arrigo like a nice chore. Well. Should
1: we plough on? Shall we continue <laughs> with doing these? <laughs>
2: well as opposed to we were going to take a break weren't we and do season yeah. 2 mm-hmm. but it now looks like season 1 could be extended. episodes
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so uh, anyway we'll see we will keep you posted